In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. So we're fighting this huge battle for eternity, and the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's been trying to do it from, from day one, and he wants to destroy a man, take him out. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I am here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing really good, Jim. It's uh, good to hear your voice and not so good to see your face, but I'm glad to have you on anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's beautiful. Hey, Thank you. oh, see, that was easy. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, this guy serves with me on the National Coalition of Ministries to Men Board of Directors, and he, the organization he leads has a passion to connect men with other men through accountability uh, I look. I'm looking at him right now. He's got a couple footballs on his bookshelf. I've got a f- couple footballs on my bookshelf. He was an actually an All American during college up in Washington, and I'm really excited to get this guy on. But before I do, do you have a man word for me? Yes, Jim. I got a word, and uh, I'm just not going to mess around and let you guess or anything. But the word is character. And, oh, uh, you, you got me. You messed earlier when you and our guest were talking. You actually mentioned this person's name which is why I chose it. And I'm looking at our guest book. And I remember when you and I were at a conference back East and, and we heard a guy named Dwayne Pickett say, does your charisma take you further than your character can keep you? Yeah. I wrote that down and put it in my notes in my iPhone. It's still there. And it's something that I have to ask myself every now and again. Okay. How are you doing in that, that arena? No, that's really good, man. And I've been, I've been wrestling with my own character lately, just feeling like, I need to go to the next level. So I'm really excited about this. There were some quotes in, in this book that that Rod wrote that really rocked my world. I mean, really rocked my world. And I'm really excited to get him on. And, of course, we met Dwayne Pickett in uh, New Hampshire. No, no. We met him in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. Hartford, Connecticut. And he's out of Mississippi. So really had a great time with him. And, hey, do you have a, a hero story for us today before we bring Rod on? Yeah, this is a cool one from uh, a lady who's going to be getting married here soon. And she had uh, sent you a message and she just said that uh, her fiance that she's marrying in a few days is a huge fan and listens to the podcast. And it has changed him so much. So thank you for all you do. And um, if you know who this is and you're that person out there, I don't want to sell her out, but uh, you can reach out to me and I want to send you some swag. So yeah, we really it's pretty appreciate awesome it. when the yeah. when your ladies see this and they're like, "Hey, my man is changing." So keep up the good work. That's pretty cool. Hey, when a man gets it, everyone, everyone wins. wins. Hey, I want to bring on my new friend Rod Handley. He is from Lee's Summit, Missouri. Been married to his beautiful wife Jana for twenty eight plus years. Rod's the founder and president of Character That Counts, which is a ministry he established in 2000. He's spoken at hundreds of chapel services for a number of NFL, NBA, and MLB teams. By the way, go Dodgers, including serving as team chaplain for the Kansas City Royals from uh, 95 to 09 and the Seattle Supersonics. Man, going back to my middle school, high school days from 1986 to 1989, Rod has written over 30 books. 
including our interview book of the day, Character That Counts, Who's Counting Yours? Uh, the, w- this book details the whys and hows of accountability, and I'm really excited to bring my new friend on, Rod Hanley. Rod, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be part of this. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, man. I, I just When you read a guy's book, it's like doing their laundry or something. You just kind of you get to see you see things about the guy that you probably wouldn't have never seen. Right. And so uh, your book was excellent. Uh, when I, when I see a book with that title, I go, oh, it's a lot of accountability, but you, you know, a lot of times that topic can wear you out, but you weave it with stories and lists. I've got, I've got so many lists for podcast equipping episodes. I probably be pumping your book for the next 10 weeks with all of the lists in this book. It's a really enjoyable book. I had a great time reading it. And so I really did appreciate it. So thank you. Well, it's, it's pretty simple, pretty simple read, easy read. And we try to, you know, guys are scared to death of that word accountability. So we try to really have them understand that this is not a, a bad word, not a scary word, but it's actually a word of freedom, you know, and a word that will help you, um, be the kind of man that God wants you to be. So it's it's a, it's a word I love. It's a, ja- a game-changing word for me. So uh, I'm eager to have this discussion. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, before we jump into the book, why don't you uh, give our guys some uh, context uh, with your life, uh, personal stories, anything that you have that would let us know a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, my family moved out to the state of Washington when I was a young kid. I grew up uh, in an apple orchard uh, in oh. Washington. And that's uh, that's my roots, and so I learned a work ethic and learned responsibility, and it was also a Christian home. So my parents uh, sure made sure that we were in church and that we were uh, exposed to the Word of God. But I really began to own my faith uh, right before my senior year of high school. I went through, I had an injury that uh, kind of made that all come together. And uh, when I went to college, I was eager to live out my faith. I went to a very ungodly school, uh, Central Washington <laughs> University. Uh, we played some of the schools that you know very, very well there on the Oregon coast uh, and had a, had a great experience. And I fell in love with not only the Lord, but also this thing called sports. And so when I got out of college, uh, I, I, was, I had a, a business degree, but I began, began to volunteer time with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm. I began to travel to summer camps. I began to do use some of my sports experience. And after being a volunteer for a number of years, I actually joined staff in the state of Washington, served there. Uh, That was during that Seattle supersonic years. I was the chaplain and worked with the other teams there in the Seattle uh, area. And then uh, an opportunity presented itself to move to Kansas City to join the national staff of FCA. So uh, for the next 11 years, I served in an executive role with them. And and then in 2000, took a huge leap of faith. I mean, with God, nothing's really a leap because you, you're just being obedient to what God wants you to do, but begin to really dial in on men uh, through this ministry called Character That Counts. And now we're in our 20th year of uh, serving uh, the needs of men. And uh, every now and then I get to do some of that, uh, those fun sports things as well. But, but uh, some of that, uh, you know, is just you know, things I love to do. So it's, uh, it's been good. I, I married my wife 28 years ago for, uh, great kids that uh, love the Lord and very grateful for the ministry God has given me and trust me with, with the raising of a family and, and, uh, Hey, Hey, God is good, man. I, I'm excited about all that. So, well, I'm going to make a little prediction here and tell me if I'm right. So you've been married 28 and a half years. I've been married 28 and a half years you're a football guy. I'm a football guy. And I bet you, you did what I did and you married your bride so that it wouldn't interfere with football. So I'm going to say that you got, we got married on August 1st and I'm going to say you got married really close to that date. How, how close am I right? So this will crack you up. Uh, final four, <laughs> final four weekend, April 4th. And uh, here's the funny part of the thing. My wife is an identical twin. So we had a double wedding. So four of us got married on the fourth month or the fourth day, uh, and married forever, the four of us. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I worked in the final four championship game on our honeymoon in Vancouver, Washington, and watched, uh, watched, uh, Duke, I think play, uh, Michigan. Remember the fab five with Michigan? Yeah. I, I watched that game from, uh, from my hotel room in Vancouver, Washington. 
And I bet you married the prettiest of the twins, but I won't let you, I won't make you answer. So, hey, uh, I, I just want to jump into your book, man. Uh, I'm going to pull a quote out uh, right from the very beginning. You kind of came out of the the thing charging and you, you address an issue I think guys get confused with. And you said this, a person of character is marked by notable and conspicuous traits. Mm. Character cannot be purchased so w- when you use the word character and you throw the word traits in there, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think we often interchange character and integrity, but I believe they are different and you unpack them as different in your book. Will you give us your definition of the two and how they are different? You bet. So the, the word character actually comes from the engraving business, the printing business, and it's really the mark or the stamp you have. And so, I'll make it really, really simple. Character is about, about doing the right thing, being the right person, right attitudes, right to conduct, right reactions. Uh, it's, it's doing the right thing. But integrity is about this whole concept of being whole or being complete. And the word integrity actually comes from the word integer, uh, you know, the Latin word integratus, which means wholeness, com- uh, entireness, or completeness. So, so character is about the doing piece, and integrity is about the being piece. And when the doing and the being merge together, then that's that's really that's really what the goal is. So it's a combination of both words working together is 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 what a, a complete man, a whole man of character looks like. That's really good, man. Doing versus being. You know, the, the definition of character in the dictionary is the complex of traits where where integrity is a oneness you have a oneness versus plurality a doing versus being that's really good well i gotta tell you 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 just jumped right into one of my most powerful statements from your book and you said this in your book you said god is into making integers satan is into making fractions i was just sharing that recently with a guy and i forgot it was out of your book because i i'll read the book and forget who said it and I got to tell you, that was powerful. And in my 30 years of full-time ministry, I have never heard that before. So I'll be crediting uh, that quote with you for the rest of my life. But when you think of a fraction of a man compared to an integer of a man, what does that look like to you? Will you lay that out for us? So, uh, and let me just add this component, because that's that's actually one of my favorite uh, sayings as well. Uh, Satan wants you to be a fraction. He wants to divide you. He wants to compartmentalize you. He wants to disconnect what you do on Sunday morning at church from what you do the rest of the week. So this is exactly what Satan's into, fractions. And he's fracturing guys. Uh, he's he's causing them to disconnect from uh, not only other men, but from themselves to so trying to do things that are inappropriate. And so he's the king of confusion. Uh, conflict, chaos. That's that's what he does. He's a divider. On the flip side, God is a completer. God is God is 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 working a plan of completion for us. And I think a lot of guys get derailed in this thing because they think, well, I could never be perfect, you know. But you know, the word perfect actually means complete. It means being complete or being whole. And so I tell guys all the time. Uh, you know, it's not about it's an it's not about perfection. It's about direction, and and if and if and if we get we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to mess up, we're going to make bad de- choices, bad decisions, or we're going to lack integrity or lack character. But does that disqualify us? No, because God is in the completing business, and God is moving us towards Christ likeness. And in this journey of these slip ups, the key for a man of character. And integrity is that when they get out of alignment, when they get, you know, misguided, when they begin to compromise, they quickly get back into alignment with God's will and God's way and God's purposes. And that's the journey that we're all on, every single one of us. And and so uh, not that we minimize sin or we try to say, well, you know, that's just uh, part of who I am. And, 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 and but, but we're, we're quickly seeking repentance, seeking forgiveness, seeking uh, that, that oneness with him and becoming more like his son, Jesus. And then, so that's, that's the journey we're all on. And that's, that's where hopefully this, this connection takes place because it's, re- it's reality. You know, the, the, this integer and fraction concept is, is exactly uh, the battle that we're in because Satan does want to divide us. 
he does want to divide us. No, that's really good at divide us. That's a that's a fraction. A div, when you you know one fourth is a division. That's a fraction. That's a divisive uh, mathematical term. You said something here that I thought was really powerful. You said he wants you to be a, Satan wants you to be a fraction. He wants to compartmentalize you, and this is a buzz for me because men are naturally extremely compartmentalized, right? You know, uh, Gunger s- says that we have a nothing box that we can live in. We can put our compartments in there. And I, I think of uh, guys like our Navy SEALs, who I love, who are some of the greatest warriors on the planet, greatest warriors on the planet, yet they divorce at a rate of 90 to 95%. So in this compartment, they're the best. In this compartment, they're the worst. And so this fraction concept that you're talking about, you made a comment uh, also that I, I thought was powerful. You said, when a man of integrity is out of alignment, he finds that and gets back into it. On page 22 of your book, you said something that, again, was a, was a beautiful paradox. I love the paradoxes in the Bible and the paradoxes of serving Christ. And, and you, you shared one that I had not thought of before. You said this. True character begins by acknowledging who you really are and what you don't have. So often we have false impressions of who we are, and we view ourselves under a different set of standards than we judge others. What I read into that, Rod, was that integrity is the acknowledgement of who you are not. You know, Paul said, I'm confident of this in Philippians 1 6. He who began a good work in you carried on to completion. So, can you talk to us about this paradox between being a whole man, yet being a man who recognizes that at the same time you're incomplete? Well, and like I say, it's sure easier to acknowledge that in other men than ourselves. I mean, we're sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're sure to point out the flaws and the imperfections and the shortcomings of of uh, our plumber, our accountant, our banker, our pastor. You know, it's easy for us to do that. And while it's really easy to minimize our own journey and and minimize our own sin and justify it to, again, compartmentalize it. Well, you know, it's not not as bad as so-and-so or, you know, know, at least I'm not doing this. I mean, or, you know, uh, the the most famous compartment we put in was I'll never be found out. I'll never be discovered. And yeah, so my, yeah. and so a man of integrity takes a really uh, a, a good hard look at themselves, recognizes who they are in the in their flesh, in their sinfulness, and and understand, man, I, I've got a lot of maturing to do, but they also realize that the Lord God has promised that he will never leave or forsake them. And that he will, he who had promised to do a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we, yes. we, we don't, we don't beat ourselves up, but we also don't get high and lofty and think I'm without flaw. So we, you know, he's a balanced man. And, you know, when I start thinking about the word character, you know, these, these, and I've got 150 different character words that I speak and teach on. And that list, uh, as you know, is in the back of the book, a full comprehensive list of all these character words. And as good as those words are, guess what? If you take those words to an extreme, those words aren't good. Yes. You know, I mean, you can, you can push this character piece so far that you become very legalistic. Yeah. You become very, uh, you know, you, I mean, that spirit of humility doesn't exist anymore. And so every one of these words has a balancing act to them. You know, because if you if you take it to a humanistic level, you really shove God out of the equation totally. So so that's the that's the balance, and that's where you know a time in the Word of God you know regrounds a guy, replants a guy. Because if all you're listening to is self help books on I want to be a man of character, guess what? Eventually you will you will really fall because you're 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 not being honest with yourself about who God says you are both in terms of being flawed and also being complete in him. Yeah, it is a it's a journey of paradoxes when we live for Christ, right? We've got to die to live. We've got to humble to boast. You know, we've got to it, there's just, we got to be weak to be strong. Uh it's just over and over through the Bible. Well, you talked about words, I mean, yeah, Yes. Yes. Well, you you talked about the secret compartment and I thought that was really interesting. I never thought of it that way. 
that we have to deal with the secret compartment. You said a man of integrity takes a good, hard look at themselves. That self-evaluation, you know, it's David saying, test me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me, Psalm 139, right? And so that is really, really powerful. You you dis- you talk about Moody's quote in your book where he says, um, character is who you are in the dark. And I love what you said on page 24. You said, it's been said that before you can have true victory, in other words, get out of that secret compartment, you need to have private success. Can you walk us through that in the context of integrity and character? Well, I think a lot of guys, they obviously want the success, but true success comes when you have that honesty. And, and, and Jill, let me just back up and say, accountability is being honest with three, with three different sectors. It's being honest with God. It's being honest with others, but it's being honest with yourself. And I don't think yes. a lot of guys, that's the one we struggle with. We know yep. God knows. Yeah, we, yeah, we admit, yeah, there's a, you know, there's, God knows this. And, and we might tell a few people, you know, if we're really, really confident that they're going to not expose us and disclose it. But man, we can, that self-talk can be, it can be our number one detriment to this whole battle. Because we're convincing ourselves, again, of all these, uh, we're giving ourselves an escape hatch, giving ourselves all kinds of exit ramps to not do that. And of course, the irony is we want everybody else in our life to have that. Yeah. We we put ourselves to such low standards, low standards. And our standard is Christ. I mean, that's the standard. It's not, it's not our buddy or even our pastor. It's, it's, it's the Lord. And and that's the that's that's the one that really gets us that self evaluation. So that's what I'm trying to get to. Now that's really powerful, man. I you know it's funny in your book. I always judge a book based on how much I write in it and how much new knowledge I gain. And so your book is up there. Honestly, it was really good for me. One of the things that really struck me that I did not think about before in the Bible was a little uh, ordination or anointing party in First Samuel chapter 16. And there was a really obscure guy that was not invited. And I, and I want you to walk us through being not being invited to the anointing party and how that speaks to a man's character building and integrity. It was very, very powerful for me. And I'm not going to be a spoiler. I want you to tell the story. Yeah, so who we're talking about is uh, the shepherd boy, David, the youngest. He was, he was not invited. And uh, from, from physical appearance... Uh, he was the scrawniest one. He was the one that's probably the least qualified. Uh, Jesse had assembled all those other sons, and Samuel looked at them, and they might have had the visible piece, but but what God was really looking for was the heart, yes. the heart. And uh, David had the heart he was, that he was looking for. And here's the irony. Uh, if you do a fast forward in David's life, David blew it a lot yes. of times adulterer or murderer. He had, he had uh, family issues or str- uh, things going on in his life. But here's two things David did have. He had accountability. He had a brother, uh, uh, you know, Jonathan, uh, uh, you know, brother from a different mother uh, that he, <laughs> he was connected to, that he was doing life with, that he was loyal to, that he was, that they were, they were checking up on each other. They were guarding each other. And also he had uh, this intimate time with, with, with his, his God. And we see that evidence through many of the Psalms that he wrote. And, yeah. and the, you could say what you want to say about David, but the scriptures clearly says he had the heart I was looking for. He had well, and what I, I and I love, I call it the rebound effect. He always rebounded. He, he, he was a master of repentance and he veered off course in heinous ways, but he always came back. But it started with his heart, uh, the heart of a shepherd boy alone in the wilderness. It's very, very powerful. I want to spend uh, the majority of our podcast walking through the 10 questions. But before I do, I, wa- I want to, you threw two proverbs into this book that I'd never heard before. You know, just what you think you've heard it all, right? And, and they were so powerful to me. And I want you to share your heart behind including these in your book. And uh, these were very, very powerful. You said this. The first one was an old Native American saying that is, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a manner that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That is so powerful. And then being a hunter, I actually wrote some things in the notes on this next one. This is a Korean proverb that says, when a tiger dies, 
he leaves his skin. So I changed that to when a deer dies, he leaves his antlers. And so uh, when a tiger dies, he leaves his skin. When a man dies, he leaves his name. Those two linked together to me were so powerful. Can you unlock these for us and explain why these tool, why we need certain tools in our arsenal to be a man that people cry over when, when we go? So for me, what those two are referring to is, is legacy. And legacy, yeah. you know, when you think about it, uh, that, that's, that's really what matters the most. That's the one that continues that generational chain. And, uh, you know, I just, as I think about that word, I think about eternity. I think about, you know, the fact that uh, in this line of eternity, you know, you can either live for the dot, which is the hundred year period that we might have on this thing, or we can live for the, the, the line where that little dot is at. And when you think about it, that's, that's what I want to be living for. And that's what hopefully the men that we're talking to this podcast, they value and realize that, that, you know, the things I do today are going to be making a difference, hopefully 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 years beyond. I'll tell you, one of the things that motivates me as a man is I know I had a relative in the 1800s named Daniel Handley that that understood he was living for eternity. And while I obviously never met him, but I heard about him through some writings and I've seen some things and I it inspires me, encourages me that the things I'm doing today, maybe someday the the kids of the kids of the kids of my kids will say, hey, there was this guy back in the, you know, the year, you know, at the turn of the century, in the, you know, 20, 21st century, that really was doing some special things for the Lord. And, uh, and, and to be quite honest, I don't care if they remember my name, but I, I, I care if they remember what I did. And, and, and the evidence of that is some of the resources, some of the books, some of the different things, and hopefully they'll see that. I, one of the things I do, Jim, is I actually am a journaler, and I've been writing journals, not for my purpose, but for one day for my kids to have. And so part of that, it's called uh, uh, The Legacy of a Dad, and I, and, I, and I record things so they can hear verbatim from me, you know, years and years and years down the road of what, what's going on. So legacy for me is huge, and those are those words talk about. So <clears throat> see right there by my pen tip? Those are all journals. I was just, I'm dirt journaling right now through the pastoral epistles verse by verse. And I actually write each journal for my three sons. So I, I completely connect with what you're saying. Is this the problem with men regarding their integrity and character though? Is, is the problem with men that they aren't seeing the end or they aren't seeing the dash, but or the line they're seeing the dot. I mean, is this, is this part of this compartmentalization or fraction Issue? What do you think? Absolutely, and, and, and the temporal takes precedent. The you know the you know what am I doing today? You know, really, really gets them consumed, and they forget about tomorrow and the impact of tomorrow. And I think that's one of the reasons guys get themselves in trouble with sin and compromise, and they begin something that might seem innocent, but then you know they 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 aren't thinking about what the end game looks like with this, and and what that could potentially lead to. And of course, when your sin gets discovered and when you get exposed and when you get found out, there's great, great regrets and remorse and guilt and shame. And of course, the enemy does a does a, a job on us because he's inviting us to do that. And then when we do that, he beats a tar of us saying, you know, you, and you call yourself a Christian for doing that? So, I mean, he, he gets us both directions. So we're fighting this huge battle for eternity, and the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's been trying to do it from from day one, and he wants to destroy a man, take him out. And so, the very things he entices you to do, he beats a target in the back end when you actually do it. Well, it's interesting. This Korean proverb: "When a tiger dies, he leaves his skin." What you don't realize about that proverb is, if a tiger dies naturally, the skin rots. The tiger that leaves his skin was killed by a predator. The deer that leaves his antlers was killed by a predator. Satan is a predator. And here's the thing, Rob, that's frightening to me. He is an AP is the apex predator. And he's so patient. He's so patient with our breach of integrity. He'll wait six decades. Yeah. 
It's scary. Well, let's jump for the most opportune moment when it'll cause the most destruction, when it'll, 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 it'll actually crush anybody. I mean, he is willing to wait it out for that opportune moment. So that's when we got to be on guard. And you said it really, really well. I also, let me, let me give you another proverb. You didn't mention this one. I thought you were going to go there with this one too. And it's in the book. It says the, the best time of, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best time to plant it is today. And I think that's a really a great message for the guys too, because we put off decisions, put off choice. Well, I'll take care of that later. But the best day to make a decision to be a man of character and integrity is today. Don't yeah, wait. Yeah, Don't yeah. wait and, and draw that line in the sand, plant that tree today and say, you know what? My past is a great, ex- a lot of experiences I learned. But today is the most important day I can make a decision because I'm going to make a decision today to be that man of integrity and character. And I'm going to find a man to be accountable. And I'm not going to I'm not going to put off thinking I'll do it later, because guess what? Later never comes. It never comes. Well, and you know what's scary, Rod, is you and I are within five, six years of each other in age. We've raised our families. We've loved the same, well, we've loved one woman, not the same woman. We've loved one woman for almost 30 years between you and I, 60 years between us. You would think it would be coasting time for us, but this is the time I see most guys fall is in their 50s to late 60s when their sweet spot of ministry is happening. They have maximum influence and they have minimum uh, guys out there willing to call them out. Because we're now the ones calling everybody else out. And this is really a scary time. We have to really trust God because guys like you and I, this is when the trap gets sprung. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just need to be on guard. So these young guys who are listening, most of our guys listening are in the 25 to 40 window. And we talk about getting through the stress bubble of raising your kids. And that is a true statement. But we've got to be even more on guard during those years when we're alone for multiple hours in a quiet house because the wife is working or when we carry more authority because now we sit on church boards and ministry boards and we just really have to be on guard because this is when Satan wants to to rear his uh, head and strike. And so I want to jump into accountability and I want to go really utilitarian on this thing because you list 10 questions and I want to walk through those and why you chose them. But before we do, uh, I want to just start with this quote from your book. And, and first of all, I want to tell you, I love accountability. I, I'm inspired from your book to get deeper into accountability. But a lot of guys in the church shrink back at accountability. Uh, in fact, a lot of pastors I know attack accountability. It's just really, really interesting to me. And I'll let you speak to that. But you said this, accountability means I am liable to be called to account for my life. It means I'm regularly answerable for the key areas of my life to certain people. That's a key phrase. It means I'm being held responsible for who I am and what I do. The purpose of accountability in one's life is nothing less than an attempt to become more Christ-like and to grow more intimately in Him. I hope I encapsulate your 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 heart for accountability, but I want to have you elaborate on that, and then also talk about your subtitle: "Who's Counting Yours." So. A lot of words there that uh, scare yeah. the babies out of guys. <laughs> Let's just yeah. start with the word responsible. I mean, yeah. we don't want to be responsible. You know, we 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 want to play the victim. We want to play the blame game. We want to, and it might be our upbringing. It might be uh, our schooling. It might be our education. It might be, you know, that bad boss I had or that terrible woman that I decided to marry. And and so we we are really quick to again kind of minimize ourselves as opposed to taking responsibility and, 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 and realizing, you know what, ultimately the one I'm accountable to is, is the Lord. And the cool thing about what I'm proposing to men here is that, is that, you know, there's going to be a day of reckoning coming for all of us. I mean, the, the scripture is clear. There's a day of judgment coming. And I would much rather approach judgment day with a clue <laughs> Of, of of what I did as opposed to walking there clueless going, huh? Well, I mean, because guess what? It ain't, ain't going to work on Judgment Day. It's not going to work. I mean, we are, you know, the, the, the books have been written. The things are occurred. And what accountability does is it wakes me up to reality. It wakes me up to, oh, my goodness, this is what's really going on. 
And so what I've discovered over the years, actually, people actually today use the word accountability like in a, well, again, they hold everybody else accountable and they actually kind of like the word. But when you drill down and say, so, dude, tell me how, how your accountability works. Who are you actually doing this with? Yeah. And then they start to go, da, 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 you know, because guess what? There's nobody counting. There's nobody out there. They really don't have what they think is really good. I mean, they can't identify who they actually are telling their secrets to, who's asking them the hard questions, who's invested in their life, because they've kept everybody at, at, at uh, superficial arm's length distance. And, and, and what drives me crazy, Jim, crazy with guys is when you try to ask them, so how you doing? How you, how you doing? The classic guy answer is I'm doing fine. And you know what yep. fine means? It means feelings I'm not expressing. It means I'm fearful, <laughs> needy, and emotionally exhausted. That's what fine means. And they're basically saying, hey, don't, don't go there. Don't go there with me. It's all fine. And they're dying. And so I, I do not accept a fine answer from guys. The, the, the men that I uh, get a chance to invest in, and I praise God, God's given me not just a handful of, of intimate friends, but a lot of guys that I can, you know, they know that I'm not trying to judge them and I'm not trying to hammer them and I'm not trying to condemn them. Out of love, I'm saying, no, no, tell me what's really going on with your life. And most guys have nobody, nobody. I was in, in, a, in my men's group this week. There's two guys that are newbies that just started coming. And both of them pulled me aside two nights ago and said, Rod, I need accountability. I need someone in my life because I have nobody I'm talking to real stuff with. And one guy, the irony of him making that statement is earlier in the day, his first grandchild was born. And with tears in his eyes, he told me, I made a pledge when I saw her this morning for the first time that I'm not going to disappoint her. And he says that in no way I'm not going to disappoint her is I start getting real with some other guys and tell them what's really going on in my life. That's so and powerful. So, so hold on. He, he's just setting it up. He's going, I want what you got. I want it. Yeah. Yeah. So you threw an acrostic at me. I want you to repeat it because I wrote it down that I forgot it because I'm over 50. Fine. What does that stand for? Feelings. I'm not expressing man that's my wife sometimes how you doing honey fine oh no i'm in trouble well you know then, you talk you said the you, you one, <laughs> the second one is fearful insecure needy emotionally exhausted so there's two of them two of them going. oh that's awesome well you said that men and i'm gonna tell you rod right now i'm gonna confess i'm guilty of this i don't know if this is across the board but for me it's a truth we tend to minimize ourselves instead of taking responsibility that's that would be my default is to minimize my sin. Uh, and you talked about most men have nobody. And the hard part in the church, and tell me if this is true, it is, you know, they say it's lonely at the top. And I have found that spiritual leaders really, really struggle in this area because they don't trust the people within their body because they're also shepherding them. So if you have a shepherd who's not in this accountability, it perpetuates itself down the line. And so this is really good stuff. How do we how do we move forward? What's the next step? How do you respond to that? Well, and and you mentioned earlier the thing that I've got a bunch of lists and if you remember one of the reasons I give for people not being accountable, it's the 10th one on that on one of those lists is too many people are counting on me. Yeah. Which is my pastor's message. You know, hey, I can't I can't come clean. I can't expose myself because one, I might not have a job. They won't respect me anymore. I'm, you know, uh, they, uh, I mean, we, you, you, they're counting on me. I can't reveal that. And so you sink deeper and deeper into that quicksand. And man, now when the enemy's waiting for that most opportune moment, when you've got the greatest influence, guess what? Boom, here it comes. And now, and now you're really dust. And so where do I say start? Start with one guy. One guy you trust. One guy you, you say, you know what? I'm going to begin a process. And, and especially for a leader, it probably cannot be your, a supervisor. You know, it needs to be somebody, you know, maybe not in your denomination. You know, yeah. somebody that, 
somebody that is, you know, where you're not going to get fired or, you know, get, but, but a place where you can begin to, in a safe place, uh, reach out to someone who, you know, you know, their, their, their goal is not to judge you or condemn you, but to help you. And then, and really when you, when you find the one, guess what? It's easier to find the second or the third or the fourth. And now guess what? The enemy hates when you start exposing a light to these dark mm-hmm. areas. Yep. And now instead of being fearful that you're going to be discovered, you're almost eager to begin to tell everybody. And guess what? Ministry doesn't go down. It actually begins to explode because now the people who are receiving this teaching are saying, Hey, this guy's in the same boat I'm in. This guy is, 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 is transparent. He's vulnerable. He's real. He's genuine. He's authentic. And that's actually what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the phony stuff anymore, the fake stuff, the, 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 the things that have no value. And so you actually, your, your ministry and your influence increases as you, as you bring a light to that. Now, obviously uh, I'm not talking about today, tomorrow, but I'm talking about six months, a year, years down the road, because the Lord, he begins to do a, a process of cleansing and purifying. And now guess what? You actually, uh, you, you bring your warrior stripes to this. I mean, you, you're, you've got the battle scars to prove, guess what? Yep. I once was lost, but now I've been found. I once was a screw up, but now God's moving me towards maturity in Christ. And people respond to that, really respond to that. Well, here's the deal. I was just sharing this last night with our men's gathering. God turns your mess into your message. Yes. That's what he does. You made a comment that men use the excuse that too many men, too many people depend on me or count on me. I can't come clean. I'm going to rephrase that because I think the statement should be too many men, too many people count on me to not come clean. You mm. have to come clean because if you don't and it gets to the point where you're found out, it's going to ruin your life. And we have right. to come close. So, so let's do this, Rod. Let's transition a little bit here uh, to your groups. What are the, if I were to join one of uh, Rod Hanley or Character That Counts accountability group, what is that group? Where does that group meet? How often? And what generally goes on there? Don't share the 10 statements. I want to get to those later. But what happens in this gathering? It's in your book, but I want you to unpack it. Well, you got to find a a consistent place. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for weekly, uh, not, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think if it's a monthly group or even a, every other week kind of a group. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. Too much happens within a week. Uh, I think you find a place where you can be, uh, uh, you're not, uh, a, pr- a private place where there's not disclosure. I mean, it could be a, a, ba- a back table in a restaurant. It could be, you know, uh, a room in your church or, you know, maybe the basement of one of the guy's homes that you're doing this with, but a place where a guy can, can be real, where tears can be shed and where, uh, you know, do, do you got to do the business, uh, right? I, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate. We'll get into this. The questions are, critical because without questions guys flounder you know why are we here what are we doing i mean the 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 questions always bring you back to ground zero with this is what this is why we've gathered and we've we've come up with the questions that work for our group i, I as you mentioned i've got 10 questions but you could have three questions it, 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 you know you could have six or whatever the number is that are hitting the hot spots that you need to talk about and then i think what really makes groups work for the long term is you have to make a covenant with that guy. And a covenant is also a scary word because you're actually making an agreement with the guy. You're saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why, here's what's involved when we do it. And one of the things we offer in the book, and you saw it, Jim, 15 different covenants for guys to consider. And I give men the, 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 the uh, uh, freedom to plagiarize, to modify uh, to choose which of these 15 are we going to buy into? Uh, we're going to, okay, these eight or these 10 are the ones that we're going to live by. And I, I tell them, put it in a Word document, uh, sign that document, take it to a notary and notarize that document, go to Walmart, buy a picture frame and put that document in that frame, bring the frame uh, to the meeting as a re- visible reminder that here's the commitments we've made to each other. 
Here's how we're going to treat each other. Here's how we're going to love each other. Here's how we're going to challenge each other. Here's how, how we're going to celebrate with each other. And when they begin to do that, a man is, is so free. And so, and so we lay this out. I just laid this out this very week to a 22-year-old young man in my city. His dad and I have been in a relationship for years. He's been begging his son accountability. Account- so this young man finally reached out to me and said, hey, can you give me the covenants? Can you give me the stuff? I want to start meeting. I want to do it right. And I was just, I was so thrilled to pass on this, these documents that are all contained in the book, but also I, I, I willingly sent it to him free because I, I didn't want to give him any excuses for not how to do this the right way. And I told him, he's, I said, you know, it's great you got one, but that's not how this ultimately looks. If you can get to four or five guys, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I, get, I see guys get in trouble when they get six or more in a group, but if you can get to, to a place where there's four to five of you meeting on a weekly basis, you've got your questions, you've made your covenant, and you are, you are all in, guess what? That's when a man begins to flourish and grow in that, in that, in that setting. So. so I want to be really careful here to draw a line of demarcation. These are not Bible study groups, guys. So if you're in a Bible study, this is not what Rob is talking about. Now, in your book, Rob, you have multiple lists of questions. So you have list of lists. So you have multiple different groups, accountability groups, and the questions they had. But then you include yours. Now, when I say this is not a Bible study, it is not. I did not say this is not about Jesus at the center because it very much is. So I just want to draw that distinction because that is a that is a distinctive of your ministry. Let's just jump right into this thing, man. Uh, let's just talk about your questions, and I'm just going to ask you. I'll t- I'll read the question, and I want you to explain why you chose that and what it means and what you've experienced. So, on uh, the first question, which I think ordering is really important, and in the Greek world, ordering was hugely important. So I know this being your number one question, I know this is not on accident. Number one question is, have you spent daily time in scriptures and prayer? That would come across as legalistic so to some guys, right? I love the question. Explain the position of this question and why we went with this one. Well, it is it is the very, it's the most critical question on the list. And so you're exactly right. And it's our Jesus question. And yeah. here's what we've discovered, Jim, throughout the years. However you answer that question is a, is a leading indicator to how the rest of the questions are going to go. Mm. Your time with Jesus has, has, has been minimal. Your time with Jesus has been, you know, flyby or non-existent. I can pretty well predict what the, the rest of these answers are going to be like going down, down the thing. So it's, it's a leading indicator of, what, of what's going on. And, and it's not a yes, no. Yes, I've had time with Jesus. We want to know, what have you been studying? You know, what's, what's God been revealing to you? What uh, have you learned this week from the word of God? You know, what does that prayer life look like? Uh, you know, and so, and so it's not a, these are not yes, no answers. These are questions that engage guys. And we begin to process what's, what's going on. How are you and Jesus doing? How are you and Jesus doing? So that's, that's why the question's there. The very first one. Yeah. And, and some may say, oh, that's legalistic, but really there are certain things that we do in a relationship to make that relationship healthy. It, it just is the way it is. My my marriage is legalistic on a level. We have date nights. We talk regularly. I rub her feet all the darn time. You know, these are relational things that have to happen. And when they don't, there's a relational breakdown. And then when there's a relational breakdown, that relationship begins to crumble over time. It's the same thing with my faith. So I really appreciate you and I are have such a similar DNA. I wonder if, if our mothers weren't twins. So anyway, uh, page 119 of your book, you say this. Do you know your weaknesses? Do you allow impure thoughts about sex to stay on your mind? Are you engaged in any flirtatious activity with anyone who is not your spouse? Have you set your boundaries? Answering these types of questions will help you establish protective safeguards. We call them guardrails when the temptation hits. Question two is this, and and I know why this is number two. <laughs> Oh, baby. Have you had any flirtatious or lustful attitudes, tempting thoughts, or exposed yourself to any explicit materials which would not glorify God? Walk us through that. Well, and it's there for a strategic reason. Uh, you know, Stephen Arterburn's book, Every Man's Battle, and yes. uh, 99.999% of men 
uh, our visual, our visual uh, looks can get us so much in trouble. And so we, we know if we're going to get down to what a guy's really seeing or being tempted by, this has got to be a critical question. And in all the years, Jim, I've been doing this, I've met one guy who said he didn't have a problem with this. And to be quite honest, when he said that he didn't have a problem, I knew this guy had a problem. Oh and yeah. He, what'd you do? What'd you do after you stopped, started, stopped laughing? I mean, it was just like, dude, you know, you were, and no, I swear he's, I swear I'm all good. I'm all good. Well, guess what? Sadly, sadly, 10 mm. years after he told me that I walked into a restaurant and he's sitting cozied up at, at the booth with someone who wasn't his wife. And when we made eye contact, I could just see the look on his face like, uh Oh, I'm in deep trouble. And guess what? It was a few months later. Found out he was getting a divorce. He'd been having an affair with this yeah. gal. So it was. It was. It. It was gonna. It, it happened the day he stood up with that arrogant spirit. I don't got a problem with this. That's when it the, started. The arrogant spirit. Guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Next week we will continue our episode with Rod Handley. Guys, we want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and check out a free resource in the top right corner of the website there. And until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor, hear the deafening roar of the crowd, taste the sweetness of victory, smell the stench of battle, get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be an accountable man. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.